Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Eric. And today we're reading short and deep, The Sleeper by Edgar Allan Poe. The version we're reading is from the Poets and Poetry of America, 1842. This poem had many um, earlier versions, going back to 1830, the first uh, first sort of version of this. Uh, there it was called Lady Irene. Um, and uh, I think there was a, a very similar publication in a newspaper to the one that we're looking at from 1842 in May. So uh, this is probably the most refined version that doesn't have, you know, just changes in um, positioning on the page and such like that. The, there are some versions that have it with, you know, part one, part two, part three. Um, I don't think that that's necessary. But I, I, I like the way this sits on the page as well. So that's why I, I have this version up. Um, here's a fact for you about Edgar Allan Poe's The Sleeper. Um, it was one of Poe's favorites. And he said in a letter, uh, which I went and tracked down and read, I found a quote, The Sleeper, in its higher qualities of, uh, in the higher qualities of poetry, is better than The Raven. But there is not one man in a million who could be brought to agree with me on this opinion. And uh, the person who had written to him was a doctor, and he, he praised the poem and said it was great. Um, mentioned some things about some other poems, and Poe said this in reaction to it. So um, I didn't find it to be the best poem of his, <laughs> or better than The Raven, first time I read it. But the more I read it, the more I think it offers some brilliance that uh, is overlooked, even if it's not... You know, The Raven is uh, is an astounding poem, and everybody agrees. I think pretty much who reads it that it is. Um, but not a lot of not a lot is made. You know, Annabelle Lee. There's a lot made out of that. Um, but I don't think a lot of people say The Sleeper by Edgar Allan Poe. What a great poem! So, what what what's your impression of it? Well, I think Poe was wrong. <laughs> More than one in a million can appreciate it. No, I'm, I'm no, he didn't say could appreciate it. He said would agree with him ah. that this is better than the Raven. And I don't think so at all. You don't think it's However, better than the Raven? I like the fact that he started it out so early in his life. I, I, according to the things that I found, he was about 22 when he wrote this the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, he kept changing it or he, he made little tinkers he tinkered with it mm-hmm. uh, i i think in fact the thing that um makes this for me interesting sort of historically is how well it presages the th- themes that we see in the raven and annabelle lee um, it may be that you know there's that famous um notion, uh, the golden age of science fiction. Some people say mm. it, you know, it's from the, the 30s until the mid 50s. Others say it's from after World War Two mm. until 1960. There's a big debate about that. And I love the person who said that the golden age of science fiction is 12. Right. 
right? You, you know, you read it at a certain time and it just it, it resonates for you in a certain way. Um, I think that the sleeper may have resonated for Poe and then it came true in his life. Mm. losing his young bride to tuberculosis. Um, and it's during the period from her contracting it to her death that he writes The Raven and Annabelle Lee. But in between, that is in that same period from contraction to demise, he's working on tinkering with the sleeper. And it seems to me that this may be something that mattered a great deal to him because it resonated with his own ideas. Mm. And then as his life showed something else, or I should say corroborated his sense of the early loss of a loved woman, um, he wrote two new poems that were instantly successful. Uh, but he kept working with this one. And this may be, you know, like his firstborn. Mm. I have a feeling that Poe liked it more than other people, not because other people were worse critics, but because other people hadn't written it. Mm. I, I I think we, we can let readers judge for themselves. I'm going to try to perform it for us here. Um, but, I don't think we can stop readers from judging for themselves. Yeah, so I wouldn't want to. Yeah, but uh, there are, we'll talk about it. I I'll, I want to read it for us, and um, then we'll maybe zero in on some particulars. Okie doke. Here we go. The Sleeper by Edgar Allan Poe. At midnight in the month of June, I stand beneath the mystic moon. An opiate vapor, dewy dim, exhales from out her golden rim, and softly dripping drop by drop upon the quiet mountain top, steals drowsily and musically into the universal valley. The rosemary nods upon the grave, the lily lolls upon the wave. Wrapping the mist about its breast, the ruin moulders into rest. Looking like Lethe, see the lake, a conscious slumber seems to take, and would not for the world awake. All beauty sleeps, and lo, where lies within, sorry, with casement open to the skies, Irene and her destinies. O lady bright, can it be right, this lattice open to the night? The bodiless airs and wizard rout flit through thy chamber in and out. And wave the curtain canopy so fitfully, so fearfully, above the closed and fringed lid, neath which thy slumbering soul's li soul lies hid, that o'er the floor and down the wall, like ghosts the shadows rise and fall. O lady dear, hast thou no fear? Why and what art thou dreaming here? Sure thou art come o'er far-off seas, a wonder to our garden trees. Strange is thy pallor, strange thy dress, stranger thy glorious length of tress, and this all-solemn silentness. The lady sleeps, O may her sleep which is enduring so be deep. Soft may the worms about her creep. This bed, being changed for one more holy, this room for one more melancholy. I pray to God that she may lie forever with unclosed eye. My love, she sleeps. O oh, may her sleep as it is lasting so be deep. Heaven have her in its sacred keep. Far in the forest dim and old, 
for her may some tall tomb unfold, some tomb that oft hath flung its black and wing-like panels fluttering back, triumphant o'er the crested palls of her grand family funerals, some sepulchre remote alone against whose portal she hath thrown in childhood many an idle stone, some vault from out whose sounding door she ne'er shall force an echo more, nor thrill to think, poor child of sin, it was the dead who groaned within. I'm all ears, Jesse. Hmm. <laughs> uh, in many times I've um, taught this poem to students. Um, on the page, there's a, a, a column that was missing, a poem that I removed um, because I just wanted to have the sleeper as one PDF. And in that space, I always end up filling it with the images from the from the poem. And it is a, it, it's full of images, this poem. And it invites the reader to, each sentence invites the reader to imagine what is being visualized and where it's being visualized. It's broken into three stanzas. And each of the stanzas is a scene, I think. And yet each stanza also is interpretable as another place than the one that maybe first comes to mind. So the canopy uh, is a canopy over a bed sometimes. Canopy is the trees and the foliage. It's midnight in the month of June. We know that. But for me, one way of interpreting this opening stanza is that he's in a garden that is a garden. It's literally a garden outside of a house. And through a window, he sees his love, who is lying basically dead. Another way of interpreting that first stanza is that he's in a garden, and it's a garden that's a cemetery. And he's there visiting her grave. The second stanza, I think, can be interpreted as him going through the window of that house, out from the garden, and seeing her dead body lying on the bed. And then the final stanza is him standing over her, realizing that she's dead, and wishing that she will have an appropriate tomb and thinking about her youth when she was, she is going to be buried in that tomb. He hopes a family tomb, presumably to match the beautiful garden that is outside of the window. And he reflects on the idea that as a youth, she would throw rocks at the tomb door, hear the echo and think it the dead within it's a beautiful beautiful set of images and then there's beautiful ambiguities throughout so that's my first impression of it how do you take it i i think of this having not so much ambiguity uh, at least not in the technical sense as Interpretive uncertainty. Um, mm. 
for instance, in the first section, uh, stanza, if you will, uh, there's a reference to the universal valley. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is the universal valley? Obviously, it's not. There's no geographic universal valley because you can't. Because there's got to be mountains if you're going to have a valley. So mm-hmm. not everything can be valley. So you know, I think of it one way as the veil of tears. Um, so the universal valley is is this sublunary world that mm-hmm. we all live in which contrasts nicely with the moon, which gets addressed uh, in the very first two lines. So up above, we've got the, the perfect world, perhaps, but in the sublunary world, we have tears. We have a world that leads us to death. Uh, another way of looking at it would be, which is hence in that, that sense of ambiguity, um, that the universal valley for this uh, poem focused on the loss of a, a young woman uh, whom one feels drawn to erotically, I think, um, that the universal valley may be the universal object of male desire, uh, which in this case would be a woman's privates. And that, that movement that contains both universal imagery genuinely at least in western culture and much more specifically sexual imagery uh, that c- conjunction of things is part of what does make the poem interesting to me that sleep and death are not the same thing mm-hmm. but they are both here treated in the same way so that the curtain canopy that waves in the breeze might be the uh the curtains on a four poster bed, but they also might be something else that shrouds death. Those of us who've read uh, the facts in the case of Mishra Valdemar, a Poe story from, I think about 1845, um, uh, in which looking inside those curtains, we see death mm-hmm. and sexuality and the putridity, the fear of it. That's, that's, uh, pretty important. So the, the, the conjunction of these things. Uh, there is, I think, here a, a poem that matters um, to the speaker. I pray to God that she may lie forever with unclosed eye, whether it's death or sleep. That's a very strange thing to suggest as a good thing, right? I mean, one thinks of closing the eyes of of corpses, and certainly one wants sleepers to be undisturbed. He wants her to have peace with the casement open to the skies, that opening that allows for the fluttering of the curtain canopy. Um, We worry about Irene and her destinies. Um, Irene is the Greek goddess of peace. Irene means peace. Irenic is an English word, an adjective meaning having to do with peace, the way belligerence has to do with uh, war. Uh, Is this poem really about sleeping? Is it really about coming to some sense of how to have some other person, the lady who sleeps? Or is that lady not a real lady? but in fact, a symbol for the world. Mm. Uh, given how young Poe was when he wrote this, and, and then the themes of it carried on through into The Raven and Annabelle Lee, given how young he was when he wrote this, I think he may be talking about the condition of the world. Mm-hmm. And at midnight in the month of June, um, which is to say Midsummer's Eve, mm-hmm. uh, the longest uh, day of the year, the shortest night, um, 
it mean, may mean that even in that shortest of nights, we here are all mortal. And the best we can hope for is to go to Lethe, the lake, the, the river of forgetfulness from Hades. Rosemary is remembrance, um, but we need to balance it with Lethe. So at the end, some vault from out whose sounding door, meaning the vault of heaven, of course, but also the vault of the family burial place, she never shall force an echo more, nor shrill to think, poor child of sin, which we all are, right, according to um, the notion of original sin. She never will think, will no longer thrill to think, it was the dead who groaned within, because the dead don't groan. She knows that now, as she's dead, what she had feared was something in her own imagination. So The Sleeper is a poem, perhaps, suggesting that real rest can come when you understand the world more fully. To yeah. do that, maybe you do want your eyes open. Exactly. And so the open eyes of the sleeper really are the open eyes of this person who is speaking. Maybe the sleeper isn't the lady. Maybe the speaker is all of us. And uh, I mean the sleeper. And he's trying to wake himself mm. to the reality of a fallen world. Yeah, uh, there. The theme of dream is very strong in many, many of Poe's poems. There's echoes of uh, dreamlands in here. Um, there's another poem that uh, it's a very mysterious poem, and I really love it. I love to read it um, by Poe. I'll just read it briefly here, if you don't mind, because it has some of the many things that are in here, um, and its title it has valley in it. So your idea that the universal valley is the earth, I believe, has to be true at least uh, on one level. The Valley of Unrest. Once it smiled a silent dell where the people did not dwell. They had gone unto the wars, trusting to the mild-eyed stars. Nightly from their azure towers to keep watch above the flowers, in the midst of which all day the red sunlight lazily lay. Now each visitor shall confess that sal... Uh, now each visitor shall confess the sad valley's restlessness. Nothing there is motionless, nothing save the air that broods over the magic solitude. Ah, by no wind are stirred those trees. They palpitate like the chill seas around the misty Hebrides. Ah, by no wind those clouds are driven that rustle through the unquiet heaven. Uneasily from morn till even, over the violets that there lie in myriad types of the human eye, over the lilies that there wave and weep above a nameless grave, they wave from out their fragrant tops. External dews come down in drops. They weep from off their delicate stems. Perennial tears descend in gems. And we have that universal valley here at the first stanza. Into that universal valley... The rosemary nods upon the grave. The lily lolls upon the wave, wrapping its mist about its breast. The ruin molders into rest. So this word, the ruin, is very mysterious. It can mean uh, something you have in a garden, like an ornamental ruin, which is like a decaying fake Greek, Greek temple, right? that you have built to look like a ruin. This was a thing that was happening in the 19th century. And then, of course, a ruin is also what happens just to regular things like houses and bodies. 
right? They become ruined. And that word that's right beside it, the ruin molders into rest. So one way, uh, I, and I really like your pointing to the uh, strangely unclosed eye. This is um, paralleled in his poem called Dreamland, where the king of Dreamland hath forbid the uplifting of the fringed lid. So you can't openly see Dreamland. You must only see it through your closed eyes. He's actually, I think, wishing for her to see reality as truth the way it is now beyond this veil of tears, right? He's wishing that in the last stanza, he's wishing all sorts of things for her, right? The lady sleeps, oh, may her sleep, which is enduring, so be deep. Soft may the worms about her creep. If if you think Poe's creepy here by pointing to the fact that she's going to be rotting, and in fact, in the previous stanza, it refers exactly to this in the first couple of lines. Oh, lady bright, can it be right? This lattice open to the night? This The bodiless airs a wizard rout flit through thy chamber in and out. This is uh, very gruesome if you interpret it the way it can be interpretable um those are maggots and flies right coming out of her head out of her body and that's really creepy but if you say oh he's just being creepy here he's actually saying uh i'm not the one who did this i'm not the one who put worms in her body or flies this is what it is and he says may they may those worms which about her creep soft, right? He's he's praying for it to be easy, right? I pray to God that she may lie forever with unclosed eye. My love, she sleeps. Oh, may her sleep as lasting as it is lasting, so be deep. That is, that she really be unable to waken to the veil of tears that we're in, right? Beautiful. But that's it is beautiful, but it, but that's part of the the complex problem of this, though, mm-hmm. that if she do it, we're, he doesn't want her to wake into the veil of tears, which is our sublunary world, but he wants her to understand that the, the, the nature of our world so that she can rise above it, mm. like, mm-hmm. and, and be at peace. That's why, in part, I'm thinking that one way of looking at this is to see her as a symbol um, of his own soul. Um, and he is the sleeper. And th- this notion of, you know, what is it, what are the ruins? I think that Eliot, um, who knew his, his predecessors well, picks up on this in East Coker. And, and East Coker is a, one of the uh, one of Eliot's four quartets. Um, and they are much more explicitly religious than uh, the Poe poem uh, in for in East Coker. Uh, the poet says the whole earth is our hospital endowed by the ruined millionaire. I want to pick up on that word ruin here. You see mm-hmm. the whole earth is our hospital endowed by the ruined millionaire, wherein if we do well, we shall die of the absolute paternal care that will not leave us, but prevents us everywhere. Now, an easy way to, easy, a, a standard way to interpret that quatrain, that, that, that quintain, is to say that the whole earth is our hospital that is now in the fallen world, 
we are here to to heal, to be better, to overcome our original sin. You see, the hospital was endowed, it was created by the, the gift of the ruined millionaire. That is to say, Adam um, had original sin, and we have all inherited that. But in this ruin, wherein if we do well, we shall die of the absolute paternal care. That is, God the Father will allow us to die. But that fact is always there so that we can die from here into heaven, which makes me look back at this. We know the ruins that are moldering, the universal valley, the rosemary, the peace. And I see that there is a reference to garden trees. Mm-hmm. I, mean, what, I mean, why not just trees, right? But no, garden trees. It's as if the very notion of Eden lies behind the poem that Poe is writing, and it's much more clear in Eliot, who clearly must have known the work of Poe. I mean, Eliot was was a brilliant critic. So when you ask, you know, what is that that's ruins? Well, the ruins can be um, garden uh, follies, which begin becoming important in the eight, in the night, late eighteenth, early nineteenth century. But that doesn't prevent them also being the ruins which are the earth, just as the valley, the universal valley is the earth, all understood as the condition of fallen humanity, which were it to see the reality of God's world, we would understand is a place that prepares us for something better. We can die into something better. And that's why it might be that you pray to God that she may lie forever with unclosed eye. Mm -hmm. This is a prayer. It's not so obviously and explicitly Christian as is the Eliot. But I think looking back from the Eliot, we can see that this could be understood as really hoping for an order in the universe that humans can hope to achieve if they can rise from the sublunary world into the into the higher greater one to which the poet first addresses his attention even on the shortest night of the year mm-hmm. there there are many tiny little details in here that i if we had more time i would spend hours and many hours talking about but i i'll pick just one and i really i love this stuff this is in the first stanza Um, I'll just read to the line uh, that I think is important. Wrapping the mist about its breast, the ruin molders into rest, looking like Lethe, see the lake. So that's the line, looking like Lethe, see the lake. So this is a bunch of L's together, which is beautiful, looking like Lethe, and then we get the lake. But the word see, S-E-E, sounds a lot like see, S-E-A. And... Of course, Lethe is, as you pointed out, a river in the underworld, looking like Lethe, the sea, and a lake. So looking like waters, right? Looking like liquid. And we already have this earlier in this poem, right at the beginning. I stand beneath the mystic moon, an opiate vapor, dewy dim, exhales from out her golden rim. So we've got this descent from heaven, from the moon, down and it drips and softly dripping drop by drop upon the quiet mountain top steals drowsily and musically into the universal valley this is almost like a physics lesson right 
Water well, falls from the sky at night because the air temperature drops. <laughs> it forms dew. The dew goes into rivulets. Rivulets go into lakes and seas, right? And this is just natural. Everything is natural. Everything that happens. And then we get this punch of a line, the next one. A conscious slumber seems to take. Well, a conscious slumber... That's one of my favorites, right? That's a sleep dream, right? Wonderful, wonderful detail. What is it? What is it that it's a it's a it's a marvelous, strange locution. Um, I know what it means when you say uh, his ideas took hold with his audience. Mm-hmm. I know what it right. What is this? A conscious slumber seems to take. It's a, it's a synonym for dream. It's exactly what happens, right? We no, no, no. I want to know what the word take means. I understand what conscious slumber mm. means. What's to take mean? To take us. To take the dreamer. Right? Uh, so, Lepi interesting. Is, is that entrance. It's, a, it's one of the rivers in the entrance to the underworld, right? It's a, one of the rivers that... If you drink of its waters, you forget your life, your day life. And then you take this water and a conscious slumber seems to take, right? Take who to take us. And this is I a dream I, poem, right? In a I think sense. it means to, uh, to capture us. It, absolutely. It does capture us. And it, in the, it's why when you're in a dream, you don't usually say, oh, hey, I'm dreaming right now. Oh, just going to start another dream. Oh, that one was boring. Let's try another one, right? You literally forget your life and you wake up and say, oh, I was in a dream. That's that power of Lethe, right? And so when he is addressing this woman, and I guess everybody, really, he's saying something to the effect of, in sleep, you dream, but your dreams are... Temporary, generally. In death, may your dreams be permanent. Right? May your dreams never be ones you wake from. He's. This is almost in the same way that you see in in uh, the Raven. The desire to believe in an afterlife. The desire to believe that the afterlife is real, despite all the evidence in the science that we have. In you know, yeah, he, he's. He wrote a poem to science, right? He was big on science, this guy. And so he has this problem, which is he doesn't want this woman to be dead and just be a dead body. He wants her to be somehow alive and beyond. But he feels the tension of this. It's a prayer, a prayer that may be vain. Ah, see, now we're back. To that question, is there an external lady? Is the lady his soul? Is the lady the pure human spirit as opposed to the fallen one that lives in this world? Uh, The fact is that with a poem like this, (coughs) whether or not we prefer it sonically, prosodically to the Raven and uh, Annabelle Lee, with the sleeper, there is always more to say. Mm Mm-hmm. And remember, 
You can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for reading short and deep. Thank you.